giant does. When there's a giant in your life, a Goliath, it taunts you, it mocks your faith, he oppresses you, he hinders you, he puts you in a spirit of fear, he keeps you in failure and defeat. Just thinking of the whole army of Israel quivering in their tents, afraid to even open the flaps and look out because of Goliath. Until one man walked up on the scene who was a giant killer. And his name was David. And David had the giant killer in him. And let me tell you, you've got a giant killer in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And his name is Jesus. And that's not just a bunch of religious speak That's real. Greater is he that is in you than any giant that faces your life. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about the giant of temptation, knowing that nobody in here gets tempted, but I want you to get the CD and take it to somebody. I just wanted to see if you were listening. How many of you have been tempted at least once since you got saved? Okay, now I know I've got honest people in here. Let's read... uh, one of the most familiar verses on temptation in the whole Bible. And then I'm going to share with you on this. And it's a good, strong word. It's going to help you. Uh, so good. Let's read it together. No temptation. That's two of you. Let's try again. No temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also make a way of escape so that you can endure it. Isn't that a good promise? Father, we thank you for your word today. and We pray you will bless it. At church, lift up a prayer with me and just say, Jesus, today, I receive your word. And it will build my faith. There is a giant killer in me. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home today. Now, this passage describes the intensity of attack, an attack of temptation. When you're really under a temptation, it's a big deal. It's very, very real. As a matter of fact, when he says, no temptation has taken you, that little phrase, taken you, means seized you or assailed you. And the idea is of a thief coming up behind you, grabbing you, and accosting you, and not letting you go, you're under an attack. That's the idea of no temptation has taken you, seized you, assailed you, apprehended you. So a temptation is something that must be dealt with. Somebody said, well, the way I deal with temptation is I just yield and it's over. Well, that's not the way to deal with temptation. Hello, we could go home on that one, couldn't we? This verse tells us three things about temptation. First, it tells us that everybody experiences temptation. Nobody's immune, not anybody. Everybody in this room, everybody watching by streaming, everybody listening by radio, everyone in the whole world, including the Lord Jesus Christ, is tempted, is tempted to sin. The second thing it tells us is the kind of temptation you're experiencing 
is not unprecedented or unique. You're, you're not an exception. The enemy will tell us so many times, well, you're different. You're experiencing temptations nobody else experiences. You're, 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 you're a step above others. But you know what the Bible says? When you're being tempted, there's millions of others around the world experiencing the same temptation. You're not unique. The third thing it tells us is that God knows about your temptation. And he promises to open a way of escape from the temptation that you might win the battle. God knows what you're going through. He knows what's knocking on your door. He knows what's luring you and tempting you and drawing you and seeking to take you down. He knows. Now, the, the giant of temptation is never defeated once for all. It's defeated on a daily basis as we go through our Christian life all the way up to when we go home to be with Jesus. The only time temptation will ever stop is when we're in heaven. And thank God one of the beautiful things about heaven is going to be there's no more temptation. No more temptation. Not ever. Now, the sad thing is a lot of Christians don't deal well with temptation. I want to quote a statement to you. Listen to this. Fail to plan and you're planning to fail. If, if you're failing to plan, then you are planning to fail. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? Today, I'm going to prepare to be tempted. I'm just going to go out and intentionally set myself up. But here's what we do. We do fail to prepare not to fall into temptation. The Bible teaches us that we've got to be preemptive with temptation. We've got to be preemptive knowing that it's not if, but it's when we're tempted. And we've got to be ready ahead of time. Be ahead of the game. Have an understanding of how you defeat temptation and how when it comes, you know how to deal with it. You're not taken off guard. I think a lot of Christians fall over and over again in temptation because they don't know the simple ABCs of how to get on top of the situation and defeat temptation and disarm that giant. Because it's going to come to all of us. It's going to come to you today. It's going to come to you tomorrow. This is a fact of life on this earth. Now, here's the good news, that the Bible gives several keys to teaching us how to disarm that giant. It's a good thing that you're here today, or there are some of our friends watching by streaming, because if you didn't hear this today, you're going to fall. If you didn't hear this today, you're in some trouble. And God is bringing you a word out of his word so that you can know how to disarm this giant. Because I'm going to say it again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The lion of Judah lives in you. The greatest conqueror, the greatest victor of all time lives in you. Good news. So let me share three simple keys to getting ahead of the game with temptation. And they are so simple, and yet we miss so many of them. Here's the first key. The first key is flee the scene of temptation. Avoid the scene. Now, let me tell you what God has not called you and I to do. God has not called us to debate with or to argue with or to reason with temptation. He has not called us to do that because you will lose the game. 
You can't sit there in the presence of temptation and reason with it, argue with it, debate with it, linger with it, because eventually it's going to take you down. God has not called us to do that. His solution is that we flee from it, that we avoid the scene of temptation. Now, avoiding it is better than fleeing from it. Because if you flee from it, that presupposes that you've been in a place where you came under temptation and you've got to run away from it. But if you avoid it, you were never there in the first place where you've got to run away. So flee from it if you find yourself in the presence of temptation and avoid going to the scene where you will be tempted. Let me give you a, for instance, Paul wrote, flee from sexual immorality. You know what that word flee, how strong it is in the Greek language? It comes from a Greek word that means run in terror. Flee. It means seek safety by flight. It means that what you're being tempted to, particularly sexual immorality, that it is so damaging, so destructive, that if you don't flee from it, you're really going to incur some regret. So flee. Flee from it. It's like a couple of boys I read about. They decided to walk through a corral where a huge bull was. As they were walking through the corral, the bull saw them and began to charge. One of the boys said, let's stop and pray. The other boy said, no, let's run and pray. (laughs) Now, the bull of temptation coming towards you, you don't sit and debate with it argue with it, reason with it. You really don't want to attack me. You really don't want to have anything to do with me. Come on, Mr. Bull, be nice. No, you run from it, praying all the way, Lord, give me fast feet. (laughs) The number one key, numero uno, to defeating temptation is to avoid the scene where the temptation can attack you. You know you're going to be attacked if you go in that scene. If you go to that place, if you see that person, if you get near that thing, you're going to be attacked. Temptation always begins by holding a promise of fulfillment, pleasure, or some kind of benefit. The the devil, let me tell you what he is, a master disguiser. It is his job. It is his forte. It is his specialty. To make what is wrong look right, what is bad look good, what is ugly look pretty. That's his job. And he's very, very, very good at it. He's been good at it for 6,000 years. He's very successful at it today because the Bible says the entire world is deceived by the devil. The entire world is under the deception and sway of the devil. Satan patiently grooms you over time, setting you up for a fall. I really do believe that with a man of God or a woman of God, he will work 20 years to bring you down. I know it sounds like a compliment. It's not meant to be a compliment of the devil, but he is patient. He'll wear you down, whittle you down, weary you down. He presents you with something appealing that promises a wonderful payday. I I used to be a sold-out bass fisherman when I lived in East Texas. I got the bass boat. I got all the fishing tackle. I would go out there all the time and bass fish. I really liked it. I liked going into Walmart and picking out new lures, blue ones, pink ones, red ones, flashy ones, glittery ones. 
and I could just picture the bass hitting it. And I liked it. And I go out there and, and I learned that really as a fisherman, I was kind of like the devil. Because my job was to make that lure look real. Whoosh, bloom. And I learned to play that thing. Like it was a topwater lure. It's got little spinners on it that glisten and in the sun. And, and, and you learn to jerk it and do this and that with it. Where the bass, he's confused. He's going, is it real? Is it not? Is that, is that a real minnow or, or is that fake? And then I go, toop, toop. And, and finally, and, and, and there have been times I was fishing where the, the bass, I could see him thinking about it. And so you just play it until finally he says, I think it's real. Here goes, bam, and he bites it. Now, here's what happens to him. As soon as he hits that lure, he's lost his life. He's lost control of his life. Because as soon as he hits that lure, I start reeling him in with a great big smile on my face. Here he comes. He's fighting. He's lunging. But here was what the bass knows. I was in control before I hit that bait. I was in control before I hit that thing. Now, since I hit that bait, I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer in control of my life. I'm being pulled where I don't want to go. I'm being taken where I don't want to arrive. I am seeing a being whose countenance I don't like getting closer and closer, and he's got a plan for my life. And I would bring that bass in. And let me tell you, if a bass can regret something, they would always regret hitting that bait. The devil's the same way. He throws it right in front of you. Boom. His job is to make it look like the real thing. Real love, real fulfillment, real satisfaction. He, his job is to make it look like the real thing. And finally, you, you're sitting there and you've gotten out of the word and you've gotten away from God kind of, you're, you're listening to your flesh and, and you're watching this. And finally you say, well, I'm just going to take a chance. God's with me. And you take the lure. Now, Suddenly, you're not in control of your life. Something else has a hold of you. You're being pulled by a habit. You're being pulled by something else. Jesus is your Savior, but something has gotten a hold of your life, and now you're going where you don't want to go, doing what you don't want to do, saying what you don't want to say. You're saying to yourself, what am I doing? Satan is is good at getting you to believe that something bad is good. And then you, you dive in. He's promised you a payday, but that payday never comes. Cause here's what happens. That bass, I've caught several of them where for a little bit, they thought they did have the real thing. They took off. There was enough slack in the line for them to take off. But then before they got too far at all, they realized I've lost my freedom. And payday comes. And it always comes to you and me when we bite Satan's bait. His promise always turns out to be illusory, a lie, a mirage. A cartoon in the New Yorker magazine showed some pigs feeding at a trough. As the farmer filled the trough with food, one hog suddenly stopped eating and asked a sobering question of the other hog. Have you ever wondered why He's so good to us. The answer is self-explanatory. 
He was getting them ready to become bacon. Now listen, devil works the same way. When Satan tempts people, he's like the farmer fattening up the pigs for the slaughter. He leads you along, beckoning you, putting a little bread trail in front of you, and you walk around the periphery of that sin, and you say, well, gosh, nothing has happened to me yet. I mean, I feel okay. Maybe all that church stuff was a bunch of hooey. Maybe that Bible wasn't really accurate after all. Maybe I should be my own man, my own woman, and just go do what I want to do. And, and then, instead of walking around the periphery of the fire, you jump. And every tidbit of pleasure and promise the devil gave you fades into oblivion as the consequences begin to roll in. And you realize, I've been played a fool by the devil. I've been the devil's fool. There is nothing more angering than waking up and realize you've been the devil's fool. When you knew Jesus, knew the Word of God, but you became the devil's fool. He got you. Now, he hadn't gotten your soul, but he got you to fall. I'd be a liar if I told you that there's not pleasure in sin. There is. If there was no pleasure in sin, nobody would sin. But the pleasure found in sin lasts only for a season. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, for a little while, like the prodigal. Hey, party, hearty, I'm out here with all these girls and all these friends, and I'm having this high time in the far country, or really low time in the far country. And then he woke up one day and all the fair-weather friends were gone because his money was gone. All the girls was, were gone. And he was working for a hard taskmaster and eating pig slop. The consequences came in. And he woke up and said to himself, what am I doing? As surely as the sun rises, the bitter consequences always roll in when you sin. Now, I got good news for you today. The good news is that Satan can tempt you, but he cannot force you. He can entice you, but he can't coerce you. He can lure you, but he can't make you bite the bait. He can only get you tempted. He can lure, but he can't make you step out and take the bait. That's your decision and mine. So the first step to disarming the giant of temptation is to avoid the scene. Don't go where you know you're going to come under temptation. Here's the second one. Are you ready? Second key, know thyself. Know thyself. Be honest with yourself about yourself. Be honest with yourself about your own weaknesses and don't rationalize away or justify sinful actions. Be honest with yourself about yourself. Don't deny to yourself that you have a weakness. Can I tell you something about you and me here today? We're we're saved sinners. We still walk around in a tent of flesh. We're always going to be tempted. And you know what the devil knows? He knows how he had you in the past before you were saved. He knew what it was that you were involved in, and he will try to bring that up again and again and again and lure you into the same thing. So you got to be honest with yourself. What can't I get around? Don't be like the little boy who got caught eating cookies out of the cookie jar that his mother had up in the cupboard after having been told by his mother that he could not have any. His response to his mom when she caught him in the cookie jar, he said, I really wasn't going to eat any, Mom. I just climbed up to smell the cookies. You didn't say I couldn't smell them. 
And gee, mom, while smelling them, somehow my teeth got caught on several of them and the cookies just wouldn't fall off. (laughs) Come on, everybody. Well, Lord, I'm just looking. I'm not doing. I mean, we don't understand this little boy. To win over temptation, watch this, saints. You've got to be honest with yourself. The Bible says, let no man deceive himself. 1 Corinthians 16, 18. If you deceive yourself about yourself, then you're going to be pulled down over and over again. You need to have a reckoning. Look in the mirror and say, there are certain things I cannot do. Certain things I cannot get around. I know myself. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't literally saying blind yourself or maim yourself to stop sin. Because here's the, real, here's the, the truth. If you blinded yourself, it wouldn't stop it. And if you cut off your hand, it wouldn't stop it. Jesus is using exaggeration to teach us a, a lesson, to tell us a truth. And he was saying to us, know yourself well enough to know what you can't handle. If you've got a lust problem, the eye, and most people do, remove and insulate yourself from things that incite lust. Duh. Remember that cookie jar? If you've got a weakness with stealing, don't get around a bunch of money of other people. Don't go walking down Walmart, up and down the aisles over and over again aimlessly. Or if you're higher class, Neiman Marcus, or as they call it, needless markup. <laughs> well, if you've ever been in there, whoo. Now, do you remember Superman? I, I used to, my, the highlight of my day when I was a little kid, seven years old, eight years old, I would, I would run out of school, run straight home to watch my golden hour, Superman, Batman. In black and white, George Reeves. And I used to love it when Superman would burst into a place and the bullets would hit him and not phase him. Oh, I love that. And especially when he would reach out and grab the gun from the crook and squeeze it and bend it and throw it at his feet. All right. I loved watching him fly. Shh. I put a towel on my back one day. And jumped off a one-story roof. Halfway down, I realized I am not Superboy. I never did it again. But that's how much it got to me. (laughs) I tell you folks so many things to get over a fact, a truth. Now, you remember, there was one thing Superman could not get near. It was called? See, all of you know it. And, 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 And I would watch my hero, my Superman... He would fly into a room and some dastardly, no good criminal had somehow gotten kryptonite in there and Superman and my heart would break. He'd go in the room and he would start getting weak and he'd fall to his knees. Then he'd fall to his face and he, and he, and he went limp and he couldn't help himself. And somebody had to come rescue him and my heart used to break Superman. Now, as soon as the kryptonite was gone, he got back up and saved the world. Now watch. 
Everyone in here has a kryptonite. You're okay until that gets into your presence. And then you go down and you get weak and you do things and say things and you say, what is wrong with me? It's, it's the thing that I should. And so Superman made it his life goal to always avoid kryptonite. He had that much sense. That's what you've got to do. We also weaken when we get near that one thing we cannot resist. Be honest with, enough with yourself to say, I can't go there. I can't look at that. I can't touch that. I can't think about that. That's my kryptonite. Admit it and quit it. Get away from it. Martin Luther, the reformer from, from whom the Lutheran church came, he said, don't sit near a fire if your head is made of butter. <laughs> how, how, how good is that? Likewise, the longer you linger in the presence of what tempts you, the more likely you are to melt. So don't linger long. Think about it. Adam and Eve would never have picked that forbidden fruit if they'd stayed a hundred yards away. We wouldn't be here today like this if they had just stayed a hundred yards away. But the devil lured her. She got right up to the tree. He said, God's really not for you. He's against you. He doesn't want you to have wisdom like him. He doesn't want you to know like him. He's really cheating you, Eve. He's, he's, he's taking from you. He is holding back from you. Take the fruit and you will be like God. And because she was right there, she took it. But if she had stayed 100 yards away, the fall would never have happened. So first, we've got to avoid the same temptation. Second, we've got to know thyself. Third, take the escape that God provides. This is where it really gets good. One, here, here's what the passage says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also make a way of escape so that you can endure it. God is faithful. That means he's a covenant keeper. He's a promise keeper. He will never let you down. He said, I will never fail you, never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I won't walk out. I won't leave you high and dry. I will not betray you. That's your God. Amen. He sees your situation. He knows what you're going through. And he empathizes with your plight. You see, when we get tempted, we tend to think, well, God's mad at me because I'm being tempted to do this, so I'm sinning. No, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to yield. But when you're being tempted, let me give you a fresh new picture. God is not looking down at you with a furrowed brow with steam coming out of his ears when you're being tempted, but God is looking at you with empathy and sympathy and compassion and reaching out because the Bible says we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he did not sin. 
So whatever you're being tempted to, hard to wrap your mind around, but whatever your temptation is, Jesus felt the same temptation. Whatever it is. He was tempted to sexual sin. He was tempted to intoxication. He was tempted to doubt. He was tempted to fear. He was tempted to hate. He was tempted to walk in unforgiveness. He was tempted in everything we are, yet he never succumbed. That's why when the devil moved that crowd and those Roman soldiers and Jewish religious leaders to crucify him, they crucified an innocent man. When Jesus hung on that cross and his blood poured down that tree, it was righteous blood. It had never sinned. He had never sinned. And that's where the devil lost everything when that blood poured down the cross. He, the devil was the biggest loser. You remember that show? Is it still around, The Biggest Loser? I'll tell you the biggest loser, the devil. The biggest loser is the devil because he lost the keys to his own house. The key to death, the key to hell, the key to the grave. He, he doesn't even have the keys to his own house anymore. He's lost them. Now, Jesus has the key to death, hell, and the grave on his own belt. And he delivers from death, delivers from hell, and delivers from the grave. Amen. Since he sees and knows and empathizes with your plight, He can be counted on every time to help you. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. His hand is on the temperature dial. There is a level past which your trial can't go because God has set a boundary to it. No matter how hard the dogs of temptation try to get at you, every dog of temptation is on a leash and Jesus holds the leash. He won't allow you to be tempted more than you're able to stand. Now, I've had people say to me, well, Pastor Jeff, that verse isn't true. Because I guarantee you, I was more tempted than I could stand, and that's why I fell. Stop a minute. Let God be true and every man a liar. And every experience a liar. Here's what happened. If the Bible says, submit to God, then resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. Here's what it's saying. If you haven't submitted to God and you're trying to resist the devil... You're like the seven sons of Sceva that were driven out of the house naked and running for their life from the demon-possessed man from whom they had no protection because they didn't know Jesus. See, if we're going to win over temptation, we've got to be submitted first to God in the temptation. Then we can resist the devil, and he has no argument. But if you're not submitted to God and you're just living your own life and going and doing what you want to do, then, then the devil isn't going to do anything you say. He has power over you. So you can indeed put yourself in a position where you are experiencing a temptation that is too much for you. But God, if you're submitted to God, God promises, I got my hand on the temperature dial. And if you're submitted to me, I've got it set at room temperature, and it's never going to go into the 80s. I'm never going to let it happen. My hand is on the dial. You're under my care. I'm going to bring you through this. You're not going down. You're going through. You're going to come out on the other side unscathed because I am not going to let it get hotter than you can stand. 
That's the promise of God. 2 Peter 2, 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Now, here's a great promise for struggling saints. I'm going to close with this. Please catch this. When you're tempted, he will make a way of escape so you can endure it. There is going to be a way of escape. Now, I saw something this week. The Greek language reads this way. Not he will make a way of escape, but it says he will make the way, the way of escape. That means that there is a way out of that temptation and that trial that God gives you. And he says, don't try to find your own way out. Let me make a way for you out. There's a right way out of your trial and there's a wrong way out of your trial. I read this week about a Christian man who got into terrible debt. True story. He decided he would go to a gambling casino and believe God to help him win. Now, you know why those gambling casinos never go away? Because they win more than they lose. So, you know what happened to this Christian man? had been in church all of his life, had a Christian family. He lost everything because he chose his way out. See, there's your way out and there's God's way out. Abraham and Sarah, you remember, decided to have a child by another woman as the way out of their childless trial. And it was not God's the way out. His way out was faith and waiting on him. The passage says God will make the way out. The word make means manufacture or construct. Wow, what a mind blower. Catch this. In the midst of your temptation, God will literally manufacture or create a custom-designed exit door just for you. Wow. What a promise. God looks down, he sees what you're going through. He sees that you're submitted to him. You're saying, Lord, I give you this trial, I give you this temptation. I've done all I know to do. Lord, help me. And, and God says, you got it. And God, you see this door here, over here, and over here? See that word above it? Exit. God makes those. And on the door, it says, run through here now. For some, the way out might be a sudden surge of supernatural strength to flee a compromising situation. Like Joseph experienced with Potiphar's wife. You're sitting there in the middle of being assailed by a temptation. Suddenly inside of you, this surge of supernatural strength rises within you. You know what that is? The exit door. Seize it. And run. For others, the way out might be a word from the Lord to your heart that brings clarity and discernment. Where suddenly you wake up as if you've been in a fog and you say, what am I doing? And that clarity is from God. It's the exit door. The prodigal son came to himself and fled the far country. For others, finally, the way of escape might manifest as a providentially open door through which you flee to safety. It could be a new job, a new set of friends. You're sitting there and you're surrounded by temptation. Suddenly a door opens and God says, here's new friends. Here's a new job. Here's a new setting. Here's a new context. Run through it. And you run. 
fast. Put on your PF flyers and run. Now, most of you don't know what I'm talking about. But those 50 over know what a PF flyer is. Run faster, jump higher, tennis shoes. The Michael Jordans of our day. Now, either way, the giant of temptation is disarmed. Let's stand together, can we? The giant of temptation is disarmed when we learn to, now say this with me, avoid the scene of temptation. Know thyself. Respond to God's faithfulness. And take his door. Father, we thank you for the word of God that sets us free. Lord, in Jesus' name, we turn to you. I pray for everyone in this sanctuary, in the throes of temptation. That bait has been cast right before their eyes. And the devil is saying, take the bait. I pray you will grace them to not do it. Grace them to run. Grace them with discernment to see what it is and turn and flee. Now I'm going to ask all of you here today, would you just lift your hands towards the Lord Jesus? Particularly if you're in a temptation. And say with me, Lord, I receive this. I will avoid the scene. I will be honest with myself. And I will trust your faithfulness. Let's pray as Jesus taught us to. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Give him a hand of praise today. Thank you.